Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, you know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand, and you know, the older I get, the less I know somehow. It doesn't have to be anything soul-shaking. and might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. And rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, chapter and verse, I find that a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. Now you can send your questions by email at any time at letstalk at kfuo.org, or you can call in during the program. It's 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area, that's including Metro East, or anywhere in North America, toll-free at 1-800-370-2727. Today's guest, Pastor Preuss, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for uh, having me again. No problem at all. Well, just before we went on the air, Pastor Preuss and I were talking about fishing. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't have much experience with that, but I always enjoy it when I do it. Well, after all, uh, Jesus said, "Making you know, make it fishers of men." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and I was, uh, and my name's Andrew, so you know, I should be a fisherman, but I guess I just had. I mean, it was my dad never really. I don't think my dad ever took me fishing. He took maybe. I mean, he was never much of a fisherman himself. Um, but of course, his name's Rolf, so you can get away from that. Get away with that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound really like a fisherman's name. Yeah. Well, Dad liked so. to fish, and uh, and some of my favorite memories are going out fishing with my dad. Uh, now, f- funny story there about my my mother in fishing. Uh, my dad was overseas during World War II, and I have an older brother who was a young child during that time. And uh, so mother had been moving, had uh, when Dad was in the Army overseas, she was living with uh, her mother and three sisters. <laughs> and, and she was determined that my brother was needed to have some kind of, a, if not a, an actual male influence, there are things that were interesting to males. So she was the one who started taking my brother fishing during the war. Sure. And my brother couldn't care less about fishing to this day, but mother loved fishing until the day she died. That's uh, that's interesting. So, you, yeah, that's well, that's really neat. I'm looking forward to just trying it out. Um, but I'm going up to the lake with my brother, um, who lives in Wyoming, and uh, and it's the cabin that we, you know, it's up in the Bonjour waters of uh, Minnesota and um, Canada, <clears throat> and so we we never really went fishing as kids. I mean, once in a while we did. But then he has gotten into fishing, and so uh, he told me that I should get my license, and uh, I think it's like 50 bucks for out of state, so I guess I'll do that and go with him. I, th- so. I think it's worth it. It's a good family bonding thing. As I said, my dad and I used to go fishing a lot, but and I remember especially um, right after I got out of grad school, uh, I spent some time decompressing after that experience uh, in a uh, cabin down near Bonterre, Missouri. And it was right on something called the Big River, which is a tributary of the Merrimack. And uh, I used to 
go out bass fishing on this on this river out there, the big river, and I really perfected my cast. It was you know. Because sometimes, you know, the, the bass like to hide in these little pools. It's got an overhang of, of trees and branches, and you got to really learn how to cast into that. And uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I spent a lot of time perfecting my cast and just walking up and down that river and doing a lot of real heavy thinking. And Yeah. No, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was. It was something I really needed at that particular point in my life, and I'm always glad for it. Really enjoyed yeah. my time down in Bonterre. Yeah. So, that, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, what I want to talk about today, Pastor, uh, this is one of those things that's been in the back of my mind. You're not a real heavy thought, or maybe to an extent it is, but it's been something I've been curious about for a long time, and that is how sometimes bad actors manage to inadvertently create good things. Now, what I'm thinking of specifically is. Well, let's look, let's look at our own Reformation, our own Lutheran Reformation. Obviously, Luther, the 95 Theses, and started that whole movement. But would Luther have been possible without, say, a Johann Tetzel and his indulgences or the corruption of Pope Leo X? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it shows that God is always working through history and in his own mysterious ways is working, uh, even working through... Uh, those who are who are who are going contrary to to the truth. So so yeah, I mean that's uh, probably not. I mean things had to work out the way just the way they did. And I mean there have obviously been volumes written on Reformation history and you know what what are the the real uh, you know kind of um, uh, the, the real driving force events behind it and there's so many different factors i mean you you have the you have the perfect storm at that time um you know with the uh the corruption of uh well first of all you have you have a, a huge interest in universities but then with that you have a corruption of the of um theological you know uh, a theological thought you know that it's all just kind of subjected to this philosophy um aristotelian philosophy and and so luther comes around really at at the perfect time and um so yeah i i i think that definitely i um whether it was john tetzel himself um or not uh you know i think we could definitely say that the reformation would not have happened at least not what we know of it as as we know it uh if it were not for the corruptions of you know the penance system and indulgences and stuff like that and I think you know a lot of movements may have started that way, and we can even look in our own personal lives where uh, bad things or bad people have somehow managed to push us into a right way. Uh, I know I, I can look back at my own life and think of a number of, of instances when that's happened, and I've probably been a bad influence on some people in in my life too. And maybe had a positive impact because they were reacting to my bad behavior. Huh. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, we have we have we have many examples in Scripture of this. Probably the most the most notable one. The most notable one is uh, Joseph and his brothers. And at the end, you know, Joseph says, uh, uh, "You know, you meant it for evil." You know, they sold him into slavery and stuff. He says, "You meant it for evil," but God 
God meant it for good in order to save many people alive. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you have that. You also have, uh, you know, Paul talks about in, um, uh, the Romans 11, yeah, where he says, where he talks about this mysterious hardening that God put on Israel in order to bring about the death of Christ. Um, then you look at the, 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 the Sanhedrin, you know, the religious leaders of the Jews, um, you know, they, if, had they not done evil, then Christ would not have died <laughs> and, uh, and, and thereby saved the entire world uh, from sin and hell. So, And I think the, the Scripture explicitly states in a number of places where God uses evil rulers or bad people for his own ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, for example, in the, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, where uh, he specifically refers to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of uh, Babylon as being his servant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, 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 and I, I think this is one of my favorite topics, actually, ah. to talk about this. Because it really shows, it shows that God's in control, but not just in this kind of general way. That God's in control for a very specific um, purpose. And that is to bring about good for, for, his, for his children. To bring about salvation. And it shows just how nothing is too difficult for God. You know, you, there's nothing that can stump him. He's going to, he, he can call Nebuchadnezzar this, this brutal, uh, uh, this, this brutal king. Um, you can call him his servant. And he can do that because God is the God of God, King of Kings, you know, the, the Lord of Lords. And he, he, he truly does have control over things. And this is something, you know, I know that other pastors have made this point, too, about if you simply say, well, remember God's in control, that by itself is not a comforting statement unless you know who God is and what kind of God he is, right? I mean, you can say, you can, you know, the Muslims can say God is in control, but that doesn't sound very comforting if you don't, you know, if you just have some Muslim God who hasn't bound himself to any promise to save sinners. Right, yeah. and that's so. When we know God is the God who has sent His Son into the world to save sinners, and that this is how He has revealed Himself, the God of mercy, then we can, then we can take great comfort when He says things like, "Nebuchadnezzar is my servant to do my will," and he even calls Cyrus, you know, in Isaiah, he calls Cyrus uh, his his anointed one, you know, to to bring the people back to. Uh, to Judah to rebuild the temple, and that God has this control is very terrifying to those who don't know the gospel, but it's very it's very comforting to those who do know the gospel and know that, yeah, this is the God who whose will it is to save the name. Well, one thing... Uh... You know, speaking of this evil, you know, and how how it how it works. This is, <clears throat> excuse me. This is perhaps maybe the uh, ultimate question on this. God is omnipotent. Yeah, he could abolish Satan in a heartbeat, but he doesn't. Why? Well, um, and and that's that's uh, that gets to kind of uh, that's a good question. So yes, he, can he abolish 
Satan, why doesn't he? Um, one thing to consider is that God wants us to be of the same mind. So why does God allow the devil to, to tempt us, to continue to tempt us? Um, much of this we simply need to leave in the, the hidden wisdom of God. Um, but there is a certain amount that we can say um, from God's Word. That, God, that God's Word does reveal to us about why God does this. And that is that He, um, that he wants to provide us the way out um, so that we learn to trust Him. Um, this is all part of testing and proving our faith. I remember asking, you know, really, really struggling with this a lot with, like, Adam and Eve, you know, why did, why did God even allow them to be tempted in the first place? And I guess I, I was always taught just don't, don't, you know, don't dwell on that because it's not revealed to you. But, it's, you know, you still think about it, and people always ask that question. And uh, I remember reading uh, John Gerhardt's uh, um, uh, Dogmatics on, um, on Sin. And uh, this is uh, recently it's been published the last 10 years or so. CPH has been publishing these, these works of John Gerhardt's Dogmatics. It's just a massive, massive um, uh, uh, tomes of, of theology, theological discussion. And, and uh, you know, the more <laughs> ambitious uh, listeners would, could maybe go check it out. But, but one thing that I really enjoyed about this was that he, he explained kind of this frequently asked question. And he talked about, he, you know, about why Adam and Eve did, why, why God allowed them to be tempted. And he explained that he wanted Adam and Eve to act freely as his children. He didn't, he, it's not God's will for his children to um, be mindless kind of robots, right? Um, to be just, just sort of, um, not thinking, just coerced and being controlled like a remote control. Um, he wants us to have the same mind as he has. He wants us, as St. Paul says in First Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ, or, or as he says in Romans 12, you know, our, 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 our minds are renewed, um, or, or Philippians 2, he says, think, think this way, which is, or have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus. So God wants us to have to freely, not with our own natural free will, as if that, you know, but, but by the new will that he's given us in Christ, the new will that he's given us by giving us faith. He wants us to use that to, to, to be free and not just be a bunch of robots. So when it comes to, you know, allowing the devil to tempt us, allowing the devil to, to still do evil things, it's so that he might test our faith and, you know, prove that, we are actually his beloved, um, righteous children. And this is all going to come out on the last day and unveiled fully. Um, so he can prove to the whole world, to angels, um, both above and below, that his children actually are genuine. And they're not just a bunch of yes men. I mean, you can think, think of it like that. You know, God doesn't just want yes men. He doesn't just want people who just are just don't think. And just say, okay, yep, 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 and don't actually seek understanding. You know, like he said, do not be like a mule, you know, who must be pulled with bit and bridle, you know, a mule who has no understanding. But he wants you to be like his, his children. That's, and that's one of the reasons why he allows the devil to continue to, to run around, so that we would learn to resist the devil 
in our faith, as Peter says. Well, yeah, I think you're right, is that he... Uh... He he wants he wants us to come to him of our own free will, and we have to know we have to know I think evil before we can know before we can truly un, uh, understand and appreciate good. Uh, and I might go as far, and I'd, I'd love to hear a theological explanation of this, but I, I would go almost as far as to say even Satan is God's servant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's God's devil. Satan can't do anything without God allowing it. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, and that's a comfort to know that. Um, God will not let you be tempted um, more than you can bear. Um, he, but, but what does that mean? It means that he's going to provide the way out. This doesn't mean that we can sit there and be smug and carnally secure um, and be like, oh, well, God, you know, I can just... I can just allow myself to be led into temptation and not worry about because God will let me. God will God will take me out. Like, well, no. I mean, he again that gets that gets to the testing of your faith. Um, he exercises your faith. He, he he and and this this includes a lot of fear and trembling. You know, like you go you take a look at First Peter five, where he says, "Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, um, so at the proper time He might exalt you, as you cast all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you." And then he says. Be diligent and sober, because your adversary, the devil, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will, de- uh, will whom he will uh, devour. Um, and then he says, resist, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that your that your brethren are suffering, have the same sufferings uh, throughout the world. And so, so, so there's this there's this fellowship and participation that God desires for His children. Um, and uh, and then so so. Uh, so with you know with the as far as like a theological explanation, um, I mean get, I want I want to kind of address like uh, you know your point about the, he he wants us to know evil before good. I think that's a really interesting point to make, and it, it really deserves to be fleshed out a bit because um, so consider what 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 was the first sin? It was uh, eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was not God's will that they know evil, right? It was simply as well that they know God. But, see, now we are in an evil world, and now he gives us faith, and yet he doesn't take us out of this world. He, he, he calls us out of this world. He sets us apart from this world. But he doesn't take us out until, until finally, until we die, until we reach our end. Um, and, uh, and that's very significant. And and so the so I think that that what you say is true that that God allows us to see evil so that we can identify with evil, so that we might turn away from it and pursue good. So 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 the goal of God is not ultimately that we would know both good and evil. The goal is that we would know only good. But it's necessary though that we identify the evil so that we would turn away from it because that's simply our. our that's kind of our plight, you know, that, 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 that's what, that's where we are. And, um, and so this is all part of the testing of it. And then with the free will, I mean, I want to make this, I want to clarify here that, that God wants us to act by, by free will. I'm, we, 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 we gotta be, uh, be clear here that we're not talking about, that we're not saying that God has given every man this free will in spiritual matters, right? We say this is a, in the small catechism, we rightly confess, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. And that, you know, Paul says in Romans 9, 
it's not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And we are, you know, we're dead in our trespasses and sins by nature. But now that we have come to Christ, now that we have been brought to, uh, to faith, that God has given us faith by his Holy Spirit through his word, now we do have a freed will, a will that is now free to follow um, uh, God's will and test all things, right? This is something that, I mean, you look at, you look at uh, Paul, um, what Paul says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he's constantly saying, test, 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 judge, 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 you know, judge for yourself. Um, you know, but, and, and like, for, like first Corinth, or, um, uh, Romans 12 again, you know, where he says, uh, that do not be conformed to the world, but be, re- but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you might test what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Right. So this is what God desires for us is that we would actually be wise. And, uh, and that's why he lets the devil attack us. That's why he allows us to continue to struggle against our sin and against the influences of the world, so that we would learn wisdom to fear him and to rely on him and to exercise uh, the wisdom that God gives us um, from his word. Well, that's a lot to think about. It really yeah. is. I, I guess, you know, I'm I, I'm not a parent, okay? I've, I've never had children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm thinking perhaps how a parent would be raising a child and will sometimes see a child making a mistake and let them make that mistake mm-hmm. and so that they learn from it. I know. My, I remember my grandmother always used to tell me, uh, one of her favorite sayings was, I had to get burned before I believed the fire was hot. Yeah. And I'm wondering yeah. if maybe this, this is a, a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I can't think of any cases I'm sure that there there have been. Um, I can't think of any cases offhand where I consciously allowed one of my children to get hurt um, because he was doing something stupid. But I can think of. I mean, it, it happens all the time. Where, I mean, I'm not going to tell my you know my children if I tell them don't jump around, don't jump on the couch, right? Don't climb on furniture. I'm going to tell him that, and I see him doing it. But I'm not going to go and follow him around and, uh, you know, make sure that they're not doing it all to- at all times. I want them to listen to my voice and consider what I say and learn from it. And I know very well that they're probably going to disobey me, and they're going to fall and get hurt. And it happens. <laughs> and then I say, well, are you okay? Okay, good. Now, what did I tell you? I told you not to climb on furniture. This is what happens when you climb on furniture. <laughs> so, and I remember my parents doing the same thing to me all the time. So, but yeah, definitely. It's, it, you know, uh, this is very, we, we talk a lot about sanctification, um, which is a good thing. And uh, one of the things that I think that um, we as Lutherans might kind of get frustrated about is that in a lot of kind of American evangelical circles of sanctification, it's almost like it's almost portrayed in this just very steady kind of growth, steady progress where you're just, you now just go to the next step. Now you get to the next step of your sanctification. You get to the next step. 
and almost like it's quantifiable. And um, and I know that different denominations, there are different movements within various denominations that have kind of realized how artificial that's become. And then the, and the, and uh, and and there's these kind of grace movements that are trying to emphasize that no, we're still always sinners. And but see, you know, it really requires a lot of wisdom to to really understand what sanctification is and what growth means in sanctification. And um, I think that the best way to understand it, and I think that this is the way that Lutherans have always really, really understood it, um, is, uh, is that sanctification happens in the mind. And of course it bears outward fruit, right? But it is primarily a growth in understanding. And if you understand, if you truly understand stuff, well then clearly you're going to act on it. But see, what this shows, though, is that it's not merely outward behavior. Of course, that's going to be part of it. But that, the, but, but, but the, but the actual, uh, what sanctification actually is, is the renewal of your mind and of your will and the strengthening of your will to actually consider what's good and what's beneficial and how it relates to the gospel. Um, and, and, and what, and, and, the reason why it's so important is that what remains at the center at all times is the cross of Christ, is the salvation that you have in Christ. And so, so I mean, take for example, you know, uh, uh, like I, I, I was just, you know, talking about this with, with some members, you know, um, how often do we look at, for example, like uh, we don't ordain women into the ministry. Well, how often do we look at that as just, well, yeah, that's just one of the rules. You know, that's just one of the rules in the Bible, and so we follow it because we believe the Bible. But okay, well, that's a good start. The Bible says it, so therefore we should follow it. Um, but we should also grow and understand um, why, right? That there's actually a rhyme and reason to it. That God has actually established an order in creation that reflects himself and reflects the order even within God of Father, and Son, Holy Spirit, Christ and his church, you know, and you, you can see how these things actually have a rhyme and reason to them in this great divine mystery of the gospel, and they're all related to the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation. And, and, and as you see more and more how every part of your life and all the duties that God gives you to do and everything that God's Word says, they actually all, you get to, you, you, you grow to understand how they all relate to the gospel and how they're all uh, intricately connected to the gospel and united in the cross of Jesus. And all of this, the way that this happens is through reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, learning the Bible, but also through experience um, that is through suffering the attacks of the devil and of the influences of the world and having to face them and uh, stand up against them, right? And so this is, this is again, gets back to the, the original question, why doesn't God just destroy the devil? Because he wants us to grow in wisdom, and he uses the devil as as a as a testing tool for his children to to learn to resist evil and pursue good, and to to even identify not just what is good but why it's good. Ah, okay. I think we're on to something here. Uh, Got to take a break here at the bottom of the hour, but I want to go into this a little bit more heavily about how. Bad and evil teach us good. I think we're on to something. We'll be right back. 
weekend. You'll do what I say, Clapham. Clapham has an unusual father, a father who makes him steal. I'll distract the clerk. You swipe him. But Clapham also has an unusual friend named Harry. You can't imagine what God has planned for you. He's going to use you to do great things. But this friendship meets the ultimate test when Clapham is forced to steal from Harry's family. The Boy of Mount Regie on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the general manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at kfuo.org. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. It became an impossible mission when a thief attempting to steal a Gutenberg Bible lost his grip and fell six stories to the ground below. In 1969, a man hiding in the bathroom of Harvard University's library waited for the building to close. Climbing to the roof, he used a rope to lower himself into the room where a Gutenberg Bible was displayed. Putting the Bible in his knapsack, he began climbing down the rope, but he slipped and fell and fractured his skull. The two volumes of the Bible had very little damage and are still on display at Harvard's Widener Library. Johannes Gutenberg printed approximately 180 copies of the Bible in the early 15th century, selling out every copy before he even finished printing them. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And here we are back at Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm host Kip Allen, and my pastor today is Pastor Andrew Preuss. And we're talking about evil and bad things and how bad actually can result in good. Hmm, interesting thoughts. If you want to join in the conversation, you can give us a call in the St. Louis area at 314-821-0850. Now, that includes Metro East or anywhere in North America, toll-free, 1-800-730-2727. Well, Pastor, you know, you've been, we've been talking about how, how the, uh, the Bible is rife with bad things resulting in good. And that's, that's really mind-boggling when you think about it. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's also very encouraging. Um, 
because it prevents us from becoming nihilists. Um, a nihilist is someone who, you know, from the, the Latin nihil, which means nothing. Um, so nihilist is someone who <laughs> believes in nothing. He's just got no, and, and it's not necessarily, I mean, nihilism is not necessarily um, a strict religious kind of, you know, like atheism. Someone who says, oh, I'm an atheist. I think there are plenty of people who, plenty of people who, if asked, if you ask them, do you believe in God? They'd be like, yeah, sure. Or even, are you a Christian? They'd be like, well, yeah, sure. And yet, um, I think that they struggle a lot with nihilism because they don't really get what the purpose of everything is. You know, that there's, you know, why do you go to church? Why do you, why do you, uh, um, why should you uh, uh, seek a, a godly spouse, right? Why should you, uh, you know, why should you strive to, to really uh, serve your neighbor? Shouldn't you really, you know, uh, you know and, and then, and then if you, and then really you think that it's all, it's all about being successful, but then what happens when you're not successful? And then you, you kind of, it's so easy to just slip into this kind of nihilism where you just don't, you, you, you just figure, well, you know, I'm just kind of going through life and who knows why? Um, I suppose, yeah, there's a God. Um, so, Okay, and that's kind of, and it's so it's it's sort of like it, it it's a it's a very depressing kind of apathy. Um, but when you know that that God's purpose is to save you from your sin, and it's not it's not just that He has some like hidden purpose. He's going to do some great things through you. Uh, uh, maybe He won't. Maybe all He's going to do is just save you from sin and hell, right? And yet, that's the greatest thing he can do. And when you know that that is the, you know, that all things work together for uh, for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose, is what Paul says in Romans 8. That is according to his purpose. What is that? Well, he goes on to talk about those whom he has foreknown, he is also predestined. Those whom he has predestined, he is also, he, is, he, he, has, uh, he has called. Um, those whom he has called, he's also justified. Um, and those whom he's justified, he's also glorified. So, so you, you, you have this, there's this purpose through it all. And, uh, the formula of Concord, um, this is, uh, one that I, I know that, uh, President Harrison loves to quote this from the formula of Concord, uh, article, um, article 11 on predestination. And, uh, and I don't blame him for wanting to quote this. And I, I don't have the quote totally memorized, but I can kind of paraphrase it. Because um, it's a great quote where, where it says that the doctrine of election, that God has elected us in Christ from before the foundations of the world, teaches us that every trial and cross and work and duty that we do here in, our, in life has been planned out by God so that he might bring it about that we would be saved. <clears throat> and when you know that, then you can bear anything because you know that God's going to, He's going to work it all out. He's not just going to work it out in some hidden kind of, you know, uh, who knows what good will come out of this. Um, it, 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 he, we know exactly what his goal is. We, we say it in the creed every Sunday. Um, you know, I, I, I look to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Mm -hmm. That's what we look to. And we know, therefore, that God will work all things out for that end. 
Well, I, I'd like to explore this uh, concept of nihilism a little bit more, and I, I think there's a real link between that and today's secular society. I, I've gotten into uh, some arguments with some uh, acquaintances of mine over the John Lennon song, Imagine, oh, yeah. which I think is the ultimate hymn to nihilism. Yes, yeah. Well, you don't like that, isn't? but it's such a beautiful song. I don't see why you don't like it. So everyone likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine well, there's like, no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above yeah. us only sky. Yeah. Oh, gee, what a depressing I song. I, I stopped watching American Idol uh, years ago <laughs> because they just kept singing that song. And everyone loved it. No one pays attention to the words. Or maybe they do. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That is, uh, that I hate that song. And you should hate it if you're a Christian. You should hate it for two reasons. One, because the words are just horrible, but also because the tune and the, the emotions and the feel is just so relaxing and beautiful. And that's how the, you know that's how the devil works. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's schmaltzy as schmaltz can get. You know, it just goes well, down like grease. Great. <laughs> well, that leads <laughs> to a, yeah. Well, that leads to uh, another aspect of evil is that sometimes, or oftentimes, evil can be attractive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what's, what, how, why would anyone uh, submit to evil if it's if it's ugly, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, look at Eve. You know, it says that Eve saw that, and this is interesting, the word, the use of the word see um, in, in, in Genesis, in the first few chapters of Genesis. In creation, God saw that it was good, right? And then he creates man and woman, and he says, and he saw that it was very good. And then in the fall, Eve sees that the fruit is is delightful to the eyes and able to make one wise, right? So, so absolutely, you're 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 absolutely right that this is evil is always attractive. It looks beautiful, um, but it's uh, but as 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 the proverbs say, uh, um, you know, like a like a like a like a, a let's see, like a, a golden ring in the nose of a, and in, in the snout of a swine, <laughs> is a beautiful woman without discretion, and uh, and that's uh, so so yeah I mean this is, so but you were going back to what you're saying though about this this song being the ultimate nihilism that's that is yeah it's true his what is his hope what's his what's it what is he imagining. Uh, his hope is that there would be nothing, and that the goal, the way that we, that his goal is that everyone would live as one, okay, and the world will live as one, you know, that's how he ends it. But how do you attain that goal, according to John Lennon? Yeah. By abolishing everything, yeah. by there being no purpose. It's just no not a world I would choose to live in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, the only way for man... And this is what's actually kind of remarkable about this song, is that it really is the creed of the secular world, that for them, I mean, you compare that to our creed, right? I just mentioned, you know, the, the 19 creed, or the Apostles' Creed, or the Athanasian Creed. All those creeds end with the goal, right? The goal is eternal life. The goal is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And then there's the means of attaining that goal, and it's all what God has done. That God has created the world, that he has sent his son to save the world, and he gives his Holy Spirit. And then you compare that to John Lennon's song, his goal is that the world would live as one, and yet the way that he 
campaigns. That is not by God doing stuff, um, uh, but by uh, us just ignoring everything about God and by everyone just forgetting any purpose in life at all. And, uh, and what's ironic about this is that I think, I really do believe that many people live by this, whether, whether, you know, uh, wittingly or not, they live by this kind of creed. And the result is, I think, just a, a laziness. And, I, and, uh, you know, that there's, uh, I don't know the statistics, but it seems like a lot more people are committing suicide. Oh, yeah. There, in fact, no there's been a live. report on that just recently where the suicide is definitely on the rise. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. I, and I don't think it's a coincidence. That's the result of secularism, where secularism is basically the attempt to make everything neutral. It's to, it's, it's, it's to assume that God really isn't in it. He really doesn't care. And neither should we. And that's how we're going to attain peace. We all just put aside our differences and just agree on blah. You know, what is that? What do we agree on? That, that we're human? Or what does that mean? You know, and after a while, it's just, it's nothingness. There's just, there's no purpose. So, and it sounds great, especially when you, you know, have a nice little ballad in the background, you know, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) but it, but it does, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's It's empty. uh, It's, it's, it's worthless. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's depressing. Oh, okay, we got to get onto something bright here. I mean, right? Well, you, you talked about, talk about the fishing again. Yeah, right. Well, you talked about uh, about suicide being on the rise. Uh, mm-hmm. How can a Christian commit suicide? A Christian can't. Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. Um, my my uncle Peter uh, uh, wrote a book on this. Um, it's entitled "And She Was a Christian." I think you can get it. You can get it on. I think. I think CPA sells it. It, he, it was published through Northwest Publisher, uh, which is a Wisconsin Synod um, publishing house. And uh, and and it, but he, he kind of his his first wife had uh, um, a manic depressive, um, you know, bi- bipolar. Uh, 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 disorder and uh, you know she was a very pious Christian woman um, and she ended up taking her own life and it's uh, and he talks about that in the book but his question is not is the goal of his book is not to justify suicide in any way um, and, and he makes it very clear that it's, it's a sin his question is rather how could a Christian um, commit suicide and um, and it's an interesting, uh, you know, I haven't read it as carefully uh, as I should, um, but uh, but I know that there that that you know some some helpful distinctions are um, you know talking about hope and despair, and that there is there is such a thing as Christians do um, experience despair, and that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian if you experience despair, but the the question is, what are you despairing of? Um, are you despairing of, of God's promises? Or are you despairing of, of yourself and of the hope of this world? And so, again, this is not to justify in any way um, a Christian ever taking his own life. 
but it does happen. And Christians, you know, there are actual, you know, uh, mental illnesses that, 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 uh, Christians endure. And, um, and, and again, it's a, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a touchy subject because you do not want to, I want to stress this again and again, you do not want to, uh, justify at all, um, the act. Um, but yet at, at the same time acknowledge that it does sometimes happen. And, um, and how can that be? And so I, I guess I would just commend people to, if people are interested in that, they can check out his book, and she, it's called And She Was a Christian. The appendix is, is actually the funeral sermon that my dad preached, and it was based on uh, on um, John 10, My Sheep Hear My Voice. And that's, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I think that, that a Christian, it is not within the Christian faith or in the Christian hope to take one's own life. Well, it's not your um, life to to take. Your life belongs yeah. to God. Exactly, exactly. To kill yourself and, and, is and to steal why, from I mean, God. The, the act of suicide, the, the, the only thing that condemns is unbelief. Um, and the act of suicide is a manifestation of that, right? But that's because it, it's, a, it's a despair of God, usually. And so the question then is, is it possible to have, um, to, to, for someone not knowing what he's doing, and really not being in his right mind, mm. and despairing of life, despairing of this world, despairing of himself, but not forgetting his Lord, and not despairing of the hope of eternal life. And again, it's, it's, it's a very, a very difficult thing to talk about. Well, I think uh, uh, part of it, I think, is is the full knowledge that God truly does understand. I, I'm thinking uh, when Jesus was on the cross saying, mm-hmm. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. He's telling us he understands despair. Yeah. 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 And yet that despair is what's interesting about that, um, you know, like uh the writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way like us, except without sin. And so what does that mean? Good question. You know, it means that he, it means that he actually experienced every bit of the sinful nature and the emotions and the trials and the temptations in every way, which we can't possibly experience without sin. Right. You can't be, if you feel temptation, you've already sinned. Right. But Jesus felt the temptation, um, while burying your sin in a very real way. And yet he himself had no sin of his own. And it's a, it's a great mystery. And so when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is displaying, um, a despair of, uh, a dying, a dying man. And yet, his that that cry from the cross is 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 a uh, is a cry of faith, <laughs> and uh, and it's it's a cry of uh, of fully expecting God to not leave his body in the grave, um, and to and to rescue him. And so, as you read on in Psalm twenty-two, you know it's, it's great confidence where he, where he you know where he he talks about the resurrection and how. You know that that this will be declared 
to generations to come, you know, and, and, uh, and this is, uh, and that he will speak to his brethren, you know, that he would, yeah, there, there's, there's great hope in that. And yet the words themselves at face value sound like utter despair. And so there's kind of this paradox going on. And what's going on is that there's the killing of sin and the rising of the new man. And this is what Paul describes in Romans six, that Jesus died to sin and is alive to God. Um, and so then he says, then count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So, so, you know, if Christians feel despair, um, if you feel despair and, 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 uh, you know, uh, that's not, don't lose hope because you have that feeling. Um, that simply means that you have your sinful flesh. Um, and remember that Christ bore that, uh, and, uh, and that by bearing that, he gives you great hope. Um, so if you're despairing of yourself and you're despairing of this world, um, take hope in, in God and his promises, because Christ has overcome the world. So, so while I would, I would totally agree that, um, that suicide is not something that a Christian should ever do, um, and it's not, it's not, uh, it's not characteristic of a Christian to do it. Um, it, it, it it's, uh, it's still losing hope in this world um, and in yourself is something that Christians do do. <laughs> yeah. um, and also, I don't do think... so it's... with full confidence in God's promise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we don't... The, by we, I mean the LCMS does not teach that a suicide is automatically damned. Because we no. don't, we don't yeah. know what, what drove this person to that despair. Yeah. We, 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 yeah, what we teach is that unbelief damns. Yeah. And so, and, and, and it just so happens that, you know, often and probably usually a suicide is a sign of unbelief, right? Just like adultery is a sign of unbelief. Right? Ah. But, you know, you can have, you can have, there's, there are such things as sins of weakness. And, um, and, 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 uh, God restores. And again, you know, you don't, you, when you have someone who's a Christian, his whole life and is confessing Christ and clinging to Christ and then just has a breaking moment of just darkness. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. And, and, and there's a, there, understandably, there's going to be a lot of doubt and um, unanswered questions. And that's where we, we, we do need to leave it to, to God and, uh, and commend it to, to God who judges justly um, and, uh, and trust that, that his promises are good. Well, it, it goes down to very basic Lutheran theology, you know, uh, justification through faith. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the faith without that. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, it, and it's, it, the message is so simple. Right? Lutheran ha- Luther had that wonderful epiphany in, in the book of, uh, of Romans. And, uh, boy, that, that changed everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember uh, my, my aunt, I think it was my aunt Katie who made this point um, that uh, the, the the Christian life is it's not like a baseball game where you're you're running to first base and then you're safe and then now you start running and you're sending you're sending you're sending now you're safe. There's this there you are in Christ and obviously it's true that you can as you are running from base to base, 
um, run off the line and just say, ah, well, whatever, and give up or fall, right, fall mm-hmm. away. I mean, it's, that, that's possible, and that does happen. And we should always be on our guard. Jesus tells us to stay awake, be sober, right? This is, this is a constant, uh, not just crisis, his apostles are always telling us, be, be vigilant, right? Uh, take a good, uh, close watch on yourself and on the doctrine. Um, you know, uh, discipline your body lest you be disqualified. You know, this, these are real dangers um, of falling away. And yet, in the gospel, we have this true security, which we can only really grasp and this goes back to what we were originally talking about. The security that we have in the gospel is the good that God gives us. But we can't really um, grasp that unless we really face the evil and really recognize it as evil. If we're looking at our sin as just no big deal, then that's very, very scary. That's very dangerous. Um, and that's a recipe for just carnal security and falling away. Um but if we're constantly battling against the sinful flesh, knowing that the Holy Spirit is fighting for us, and Christ is fighting for us, and He's on the plane, you know, He's by our side upon the plane with His good grace and Spirit, you know, as the hymn goes, um, then we're in a good spot, even though it's, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot of evil, both within and without. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm very aware of how weak I am and how powerless I am. I mean, I I could go up to the communion rail, and I'll be sitting before I come back and sit down at the pew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's oh, frightening. Yeah. It's frightening, and it, it is comforting to know that I'm forgiven. But still, it's frightening at how weak I am and how easily I can be led astray. Yeah, and that's, again, that's all by God's design. Like, if you're, if you're real, if you see how... How, how sinful you are and you and, and it frightens you that's a good thing you know if you're not frightened by your sin like you know Luther says this that you know that, that uh, condemned is the man who is more afraid of of dying than he is of sinning ah. you know and, and that's the, you know if, 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 if the thought of falling into sin and losing losing the inheritance losing sight of of the goal of eternal life which God has graciously promised you, um, in Christ Jesus, the thought of losing that terrifies you. Um, well, then, good. <laughs> okay. You know, this is we are to. Uh, this is what it means to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Yeah, um, it doesn't mean that you are working your way to heaven. It means that you are, you have salvation, and you work it out. That is, you live your life, and you do your duties, and you continually rely on God. And the fear and trembling really comes from the fact that God is the one that you know that God is the one working within you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And that means that God is the one sending crosses for you to bear. God is the one allowing the devil to tempt you, but promising to lead you out, as, as he promises in the sixth petition. Well, Pastor, I hate to interrupt here, but that guitar music means that we have come to the end. You've been listening to Let's Talk with Pastor Sue. Today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Holy Trinity in Iowa. Now, I want to give special thanks to Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of all glory, laud, and honor as You've the theme song to for Let's Talk. The Pastor is in, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.